for us as clinicians. It is one of those parameters where measurement has significant implications. What do I mean by that? So, you know, I very briefly talked about the 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 little a being an LDL particle that is attached to a protein called apolitle. Now, this protein, because of its structure, uh, can have multiple residues of some units that can really play havoc as far as the measurement is concerned. So there are assays for Liproton little a, and that is one of the real issues with this field. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Parallax. Um, you know, just before we begin, uh, I wanted to thank all the listeners um, for making Parallax what it is today. Uh, Feedspot.com uh, came out with their rankings of 15 best cardiology podcasts um, on September 1, and Parallax was ranked at 2. So this would not have been possible without the listenership and obviously without the stellar guests that we have on the show uh, who teach us and mentor us and talk to us about how to advance a career in cardiovascular medicine and also talk to us about the the latest science, uh, which I think is a good segue for me uh, to introduce uh, my speaker on the show today. Um, my speaker today is uh, someone who is very special to me, someone who I consider family, someone whom I've known for um, as far as it dates back, I think it's getting to be close to 10 years. I was a second year cardiology fellow when I first got to know him and, uh, you know, had a really good opportunity with him to, you know, do some some good work in India with the American College of Cardiology. Uh, he has since, um, you know, gone on from strength to strength and has mentored so many of us and um, is is professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine also runs uh, their fellowship program in cardiovascular diseases um, and has taken on a, a well-deserved and an exciting role as vice provost of research at Aga Khan University starting in a few months. Um, so with that introduction, and I'm, you know, he wears so many hats that it's, it's impossible for me to describe all that he does in, in this introduction for the podcast, but with, with uh, all due respect, Dr. Virani, welcome on the show and thank you so much for doing this for us. Uh, thank you so much, Ankur, and it's always a pleasure to be working with you on uh, any kind of scholarly activity, whether that's writing a paper, doing a podcast. So I'm all excited. Uh, yeah, no, the the feelings are are mutual. So, um, Dr. Virani, I I could not think of anyone better uh, than yourself to um, you know discuss this topic, uh, which is becoming uh, extremely important um, in cardiovascular medicine. Uh, and that is the topic of LP little a. Now, you know, a lot of us, um, you know, um, start rolling their eyes when, when they hear about LP little a because it just feels like a conundrum to so many of us. Um, and I sort of, I, I need your help here in, uh, in simplifying the concepts around LP little a. So, you know, for the cardiologists who are listening and also for the patients who are listening, um, what is LP little a? Sure. So let's start out by, by understanding what LP little a is. So simply stated, it is 
like an LDL particle that we have. So it's an LDL particle, but attached to that LDL particle is a small protein called apolittle A. So it's an LDL particle along with a protein molecule called apolittle A. So it has all the things you would expect associated with LDL. For example, it, it increases one's risk of atherosclerosis as LDL does. But in addition, it has a few other properties because of this special protein that we have, which is apolittle A, as I mentioned. This particular protein, apolittle A, we do not know the exact role it plays in humans, but it has, it has a very high structural homology with plasminogen. Now, some people think that because of this role, apolittle A may be the missing link between atherosclerosis and thrombosis, although I will caution you that the, the associations that we have seen for atherosclerosis or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, as well as calcific aortic stenosis, which we can talk about, are much more robust compared to the associations with thrombosis-related complications. I think there's some data in kids with arterial thrombosis, but venous thrombosis, the data are not as strong. So it is LDL along with this uh, apolittle A protein. I told you that it increases the risk of atherosclerosis, perhaps thrombosis. Now, L-pilitle molecule has a very high content of oxidized phospholipids. And as we all know, that oxidized phospholipids really make any particle extremely atherogenic. Uh, they may increase the propensity that that particle is going to be picked up by macrophages quite efficiently. And that, again, makes L-pilitle extremely atherogenic. Some would say that, you know, per millimole, L-pilitle A may be a little more atherogenic compared to LDL particles. The other thing that we're learning about lipoprotein little a, and I think we've known this now for quite a few years, is that it has some procalcific properties as well because of some enzymes that are present. Perhaps it is also related to oxidized phospholipids as well. So there's a very robust association between high levels of lipoprotein little a and calcific aortic stenosis. So to summarize, this is a, a particle that is associated with atherosclerosis, all forms of atherosclerosis, so ischemic heart disease, peripheral arterial disease, ischemic strokes. It's also associated with calcific aortic stenosis, and perhaps in kids, there is some association with arterial thrombotic strokes as well. So I hope that clarifies a little bit about what lipoprotein little a is and what are the main associations that we all as clinicians should be aware of. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I mean, uh, you know, also a wide spectrum of uh, ages that are, uh, you know, affected, you know, from uh, childhood all the way to adulthood and even elderly. I mean, you know, senile calcific aortic stenosis, as we know, is, uh, you know, one of the most common valvular conditions that we see in the geriatric cardiology population. Um, and, um, you know, certainly both atherosclerosis and thrombosis, uh, you know, form the vast majority of cardiovascular disease practice uh, for any cardiology clinic. Um, so it's, uh, it's enlightening that, um, LP little a has been associated with, with both pathogenetic mechanisms. Um, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to this. 
uh, and you know this sort of raises my curiosity as well. And that is, um, if this particle is attached to the LDL uh, mo molecule, like you, like you taught us, um, lowering LDL should also lower LP little a. Is that right? Uh, not exactly. Uh, what we it, it's interesting. We can talk about the therapies, uh, you know, later on once we uh, spend some more time into some of the associations and whether those are causal or not. But in terms of therapies, we do not know a lot about this. This is a very enigmatic uh, molecule. So we don't know exactly. We have some ideas as to where it is produced in the liver. Some people would think that it's assembled in the space of DISA, but uh, how it is removed is not very clear. So, for example, we know statins lower LDL cholesterol, statins lower ACVD risk, but statins do not lower lipoproteolytylase. In fact, it remains a little controversial that statins may raise LPLA levels a little bit. Despite that, of course, we do use statin therapy in patients who may have elevated LPLA levels. On the other hand, so statins increase LDL receptors, but they do not lower lipoproteolytylase. PCSK9 inhibitors increase LDL receptors, but at the same time, they lower lipoprotein little a by 20 to 25%. So again, you can see both the lipid lowering agents increase LDL receptor density, but what does, one does not lower LP little a, one does. Niacin lowers lipoprotein little a, but we know that it does not reduce ACVD when based on multiple randomized trials that we've had, so it's not recommended. And then of course, we have specific therapies that uh, lower LP little a that we can talk about a little bit later. So it's it's very interesting to know that some things that lower LDL cholesterol also lower lipoprotein little a levels. And some therapies that we have that do that do not actually lower lipoprotein little a. So there's a lot that we need to learn about this particular lipoprotein. Yeah, which, you know, I think it's a great segue to my next question. And, and that is that in well, I, I think it's a two-part question, and uh, you know, I can certainly repeat the second part when we get there. But the first part is: in what patient population or in what patient subset would you think of ordering LP little a? That's the that's the first segment of this two-part question. Uh, the second segment is uh, when you look at LP little a in comparison with some of the other uh, markers of atherosclerosis that are well. Um, described in the literature, for example, you know, calcium score um, or, you know, uh, referred to as CAG score, um, you know, high sensitivity CRP and just um, the office-based lipid panel. Where do you place LP little a in the uh, algorithm, if you may, for lack of a better word, when you are risk stratifying patients uh, in whom you think LP little a will be of incremental value in, in prediction of risk for either a first event or future events? Sure. So that's that's a very interesting question. Let me take your second question first, because that will then uh, allow us to segue into your, your first question that you asked. So a few things about LPLA that we know. First, that based on Mendelian randomization studies, it appears to be a causal risk factor. So it's not just a risk marker. 
it seems to be in the causal pathway of atherosclerosis. So that's one very important thing about lipoprotein little a that we've learned in the last, I would say, decade and a half, uh, where when we look at these Mendelian randomization studies, they would imply that LP little a is in the causal pathway of atherosclerosis. So that's number one. The second is that if we look at some of the more recent studies, the risk appears to be continuous. So at any LP little a levels, you have a higher risk of atherosclerosis compared to lower levels. But of course, we use these cutoffs because, I mean, these risk factors are continuous, like LDL cholesterol is continuous, but we use uh, cutoffs for, for, for various decision-making that we do just to make it easier on us. But based on the recent studies, the risk with lipoprotein little a levels is continuous. And it's been shown in all ethnic groups, whether we look at uh, Caucasians, African-Americans, uh, South Asians, uh, Hispanics, in all of these ethnic uh, and racial groups, as well as people who live in various geographies, it appears to be associated with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So those are important things that we need to know. The other thing we need to know that more than 90% of, of lipoprotein little a levels are genetically determined. So as opposed to some lipid parameters or some other markers, which can be affected too much by lifestyle and other things that are going on, for most part, lipoprotein little a levels are mediated by genetics. And very small proportion of the lipoprotein little a concentration is dependent on other factors, uh, for, for example, lifestyle-related factors. So very early on, LP little a levels are very reliable in terms of knowing where this person stands in terms of their lipoprotein little a risk. The second aspect, when we talk about risk of lipoprotein little a, it's very interesting that there is a very wide uh, uh, difference in terms of what the levels are in various uh, racial and ethnic groups. For example, African-Americans generally have the highest lipoprotein little a levels. After that, you have South Asians, then you have Caucasians or whites, and then Hispanics and East Asians have some of the lowest levels of lipoprotein little a. So there's a, there's a very wide ethnic as well as racial uh, distribution of lipoprotein little a levels, which is, again, very well controlled by genetics. Although in all of these ethnic groups, there are various studies that show that lipoprotein little a is associated with an increased risk of atherosclerosis. There's also data, so this is primary prevention, what we've talked about up till now. But when you look at secondary prevention trials, whether you look at statin trials or PCSK9 inhibitor trials, what we see is that despite control of LDL cholesterol, lipoprotein little a is one of those parameters that can also identify what we call residual risk of cardiovascular disease. So in patients who may be very well treated with statin therapy, if they have high levels of lipoprotein little a, it does serve as a marker of increased risk. So it provides uh, a, a, an assessment of an increased risk despite treatment with statins. Of course, we know that residual risk is a very wide term. It's not just related to lipoprotein little a, it can also be triglyceride-mediated risk. It can be risk that is mediated by inflammation, as we have seen. But lipoprotein little a also seems to be responsible for at least 
part of that residual risk that we see in statin treated patients you know in general we say that about 30 35% of the cardiovascular disease events are reduced by statin therapy but then we have you know 65 70% of the events that still persist and those events can be explained by a lot of these parameters and lipoprotein little a is one of them now the question you asked was that how does it relate to other risk markers or risk factors like hcrp uh, coronary artery calcium scores like cac scores and the answer is that all of these things do add up some of these are risk markers they may not be causally associated with atherosclerosis but they're very good markers some of them are markers of showing you where atherosclerosis is what elpilitile brings to the table is as i mentioned earlier it's in the causal pathway of atherosclerosis so it is additive in addition to the other risk markers or risk factors you may have and there are some studies showing that it may provide further risk stratification on top of the traditional risk factors that we have i think the the next question or perhaps that was your first question which was what kind of patient populations uh, do we use it in now that is where the guidelines do differ in terms of whether it should be measured in everybody whether it should be selective so i'll just give you a a summary of where various guidelines are now if you look at the 2018 american heart association american college of cardiology multi society cholesterol guidelines uh, they would mention that uh this this could be measured in in patients who uh have have premature family history of cardiovascular disease and if measured then you use it as a risk enhancer now if you look at the european guidelines from 2019 uh they mentioned that it should be well or, or or clinicians should consider screening it at least once during lifetime as i mentioned earlier that the levels do remain fairly stable after early childhood because most of it is is genetic we do see some uh, increase in women after menopause but generally the, the the levels are very stable in addition the european guidelines say that uh, extreme elevation which would be 180 mg per deciliter or 430 nanomoles per liter now whenever you measure it it comes in 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 two units you can either get a milligram per deciliter assay or nanomoles per liter assay and we, we should talk about it a little bit later but if you have very high levels of elpilitile a the european guidelines suggest that the risk may be as high as familial hypercholesterolemia then you have canadian guidelines which say that once in lifetime screening should be performed in everyone they are very strong in terms of recommending that if you look at national lipid association uh, nla then nla would 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 suggest that it is reasonable that we use lipoprotein little a to refine risk assessment in patients who have personal history of premature acvd so if you measure lipoprotein little a in in young patients who are having mi or stroke or pad there's a good chance you'll find a fair number of them who have abnormal values so that's one patient group where nla recommends it second is first degree relatives of those with premature acvd and then those with severe hypercholesterolemia or fh what we know is that high levels of lipoprotein little a actually can can increase the proportion of fh diagnosis because lipoprotein little a when you do your usual lipid measurement 
the cholesterol component of laparotin little a is inserted into LDL cholesterol. So some patients that we may diagnose with FH may actually have very high LP little a cholesterol levels, and those levels are tagged along with LDL cholesterol, giving the impression of FH. But at the same time, patients with FH who have concomitant elevation of lipoprotein little a have a much higher risk for the same LDL cholesterol compared to another patient who does not have high LP little a. So it's a good practice to measure LP little a in patients with FH as well. And then there are some other groups where one could consider, for example, if you have progressive valvular aortic stenosis, where you cannot explain it you may do it just to identify whether this risk may be driven by lipoprotein little a. And then, as I said, that patients who have borderline risk, intermediate risk, and you're looking for reasons whether they need to be started on therapies, for example, lifestyle therapy, statin therapy early on, one could use lipoprotein little a levels as a risk enhancer to further identify high risk. So, that is in nutshell where, where the guidelines stand. Some guidelines say once in lifetime. Some guidelines say patients who have personal history of premature atherosclerosis, premature cardiovascular disease, family history of premature cardiovascular disease, or since these levels are genetic, if you have a family member who has high levels of lipoprotein little a, then perhaps that cascade screening of other first degree relatives is very reasonable thing to do. And then, as I mentioned, FH is another patient population where elevated LBA levels do provide further risk stratification in terms of identifying those who are at very, very high risk of having ASCVD events. So a very long answer to rather two short questions, Ankur, that you had. Uh, no, this is exactly what I was looking for. And thank you for going over the details and, and the technicalities of uh, you know, causality versus association um, and, uh, you know, causality versus it being just a risk marker. Uh, you know, that was very enlightening for me, you know, personally. And and then in terms of, um, you know, in, in what patient population do you order LP little a, uh, which can facilitate, um, you know, risk prediction and can, you know, as you mentioned, serve as a risk enhancer um, for you to either, um you know, accelerate primary prevention strategies, whether it's lifestyle or statin therapy, um, or even, uh, which is going to actually going to be my next question is, for, for example, in a patient in whom, um, well, let me, let me back up here because I, I do have another question and then this will be a follow-up one. Um, for patients who, um, you know, come to your office and are asking you about LP little a, uh, what do you tell them in terms of how do you get this measured? Is this uh, just a, bl a blood test? Um, do you um, request them to come fasting in the morning or is it something that could be drawn at any point uh, uh, during the day um, and how cumbersome or how easy it is for patients to get LP little a testing? You know, that's, that's the first question. And then the follow-up to that is in, in a patient in whom you think uh, is at a heightened risk for atherosclerosis, either because of ethnicity or family history, in whom you think it's a good idea to get LP little a testing done and you get the results back and your LDL uh, levels are within the normal range and you have uh, an elevated LP little a, what, is there anything right now that you, you do to intervene in, in such a patient? So those are my two questions. Sure. So going to your first question, I think it's a great question. 
Uh, so patients need to know that there's no fasting that is required when one is measuring lipoprotein little a levels. So that's for the patients. But for us as clinicians, it is one of those parameters where measurement has significant implications. What do I mean by that? So, you know, I very briefly talked about the 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 lipoprotein little a being an LDL particle that is attached to a protein called apolitle. Now, this protein, because of its structure, uh, can have multiple residues of some units that can really play havoc as far as the measurement is concerned. So there are assays for lipoprotein little a, and that is one of the real issues with this field that especially some of the earlier assays, and even now there are some assays that are very sensitive to the size of the isoform. So you have some small isoforms of lipoprotein little a, you have some large isoforms of lipoprotein little a because of these repeats of residues that, that I mentioned uh, you know, just, uh, just now. So you have to make sure that the assay you are using is isoform insensitive. Otherwise, you may be over or under measuring true l a levels based on whether you have a patient who has a predominance of large isoform sizes or small isoform sizes. So that's one thing that one should know. Now, in the United States and most of Europe, there are very good assays that are available which are isoform insensitive. When clinicians measure lipoprotein little a levels, usually the report comes as one of the two. Now, there is lipoprotein little a cholesterol level available as well. I would not recommend that. Let me repeat. I'm talking about cholesterol content of lipoprotein little a. That is not generally that is something that's recommended. You should look at the overall lipoprotein little a levels, which includes the protein component, the cholesterol component, the phospholipid component, everything included. And that comes in two kinds of assays. One assay that gives you the answer in milligrams per deciliter. And then the second assay that gives you the answer in nanomoles per liter. So the nanomoles per liter or the molar assays, if you have access to those, those are much more reliable because they are much, much, much less sensitive to the isoform size. Milligrams per deciliter assay depends whether they have been calibrated or not very well calibrated. Now, there is a way to convert milligrams per deciliter to nanomoles per liter, but that is generally not recommended by any major guideline. So for clinicians, I think not to complicate this further, if you have access to a nanomoles per liter assay, then please use that assay. That assay is generally much more reliable and not as sensitive to the isoform size and, and the repeats that, especially the repeats that we have in, in, in the Kringle repeats we have in, in, in this epolitle protein. If you have a milligram per deciliter assay, make sure that it is a well-calibrated assay. And then the cutoffs for higher risk differ between the nanomoles per liter assay and the uh, milligrams per deciliter assay. Generally speaking, as I said, first thing we should understand that the risk is continuous, but for our own sake, we generally all would like to say that above certain level, the risk is high. I think most guidelines at this point would say that above 50 milligrams per deciliter or above 125 nanomoles per liter, it is high risk. Those are patients who generally 
would carry a higher risk. I think that's very well known and most guidelines agree as far as that part is concerned. Less than 30 milligrams per deciliter or less than 75 nanomoles per liter is generally low risk. Between 30 to 50 is that area where where the risk is there, but you know the risk is of course not as high as uh, above 50 milligrams per deciliter. So in and when you're using a, of course when you're using a milligram per deciliter assay. So I think the way most people would look at it, if you have less than 30 milligrams per deciliter or less than 75 nanomoles per liter, that's generally a rule out. You are above 50 milligrams per deciliter, or above 125 nanomoles per liter. Generally, that's a rule in. And then there's a gray zone between 30 to 50 milligrams per deciliter or 75 to 125 nanomoles per liter. Now, I would mention that, you know, this is described really well in um, the most recent consensus statement that was published by European Atherosclerosis Society, which which I had the pleasure of being part of that group. It was just published in the European Heart Journal, where a lot of these issues that I'm talking about are actually very well described, as well as uh, one of the uh, recent think tank meetings that was convened by the National Lipid Association. So a lot of these concepts are described there, but this uh, concept of rule in, rule out, as well as gray zone is very well described in the consensus statement that was recently published by the European Atherosclerosis Society in European Heart Journal. So that's how we look at the access risk from lipoprotein little a in terms of rule in, rule out, gray zone. I wanted to talk a little bit about the assay, which I mentioned that we should use assays that are isoform insensitive. Generally speaking, nanomoles per liter assays are much more desirable if you can get those done where you are practicing. Now, then you ask the question, I believe, as to what do we do with high levels of lipoprotein? Was that the other question you had, Ankur? Yes. So, you know, once you've found out that the LP little a is high, you know, depending on what assay you've used and the cutoffs that you've you've used, and thanks for going over the thresholds with us, um, in a subset, I mean, I guess in a subset in which you have high LDL and LP little a is also high, I mean, you would start them on statin therapy uh, uh, and lifestyle modification, obviously. But in, 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 in a subset in which your LDL is normal and, you know, the other parameters are within the normal range and you have uh, an elevated LP little a, um, you know, based on the cutoffs that you just uh, mentioned, what do you do in that patient population? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I would like to make a few comments first. First is that elevated LP little a levels, unless you have extremely high uh, elevated levels, which I talked about earlier, generally speaking, when you have elevated LP little a levels, it's like any other risk factor that the risk is in the context of global ACVD risk. That's why I mentioned the words 10-year risk earlier as well, right? If you borderline risk, intermediate risk. So that risk is extremely important because if I say that a parameter increases your risk, you know, relative risk by 10%, 20%, well, that may not mean much if your absolute risk is very, very low, right? So that's why LPLA measurement and its treatment is done in the context of global ACVD risk assessment. So clinicians should do that first. That's the number one point. The second is that when you have high levels of LPLA, 
when we look at therapies, those should again be looked at in terms of global A severity risk. If somebody's baseline risk is, I'm just coming up with hypothetical numbers, is 10%, but because of elevated LPLA levels, it goes up by 15%. Now we know that lifestyle therapy can lower your risk by 25, 30% or in excess of that. Well, the absolute risk reduction with lifestyle therapy that you will get in a person who does not have LPLA elevation will be much lower compared to a person who has high levels of LPLA. So lifestyle becomes that much more important when you have multiple risk factors when your 10-year risk is high. So I want to emphasize to clinicians that when you have high LPLA, don't forget your lifestyle. The same holds true in terms of blood pressure reduction, in terms of diabetes control, all those things become extremely important when you're trying to personalize treatment for a patient with lipoprotein little a. So those two things in terms of lifestyle as well as control and measurement of other risk factors is extremely important when we talk about lipoprotein little a. Now, once that's done, we can talk about therapies that are in that prevention space. So one of them is statin therapy, which I measured, uh, which I mentioned earlier. Now, when we talk about statin therapy, there is one meta-analysis that shows that the levels do go up. Another meta-analysis shows that they don't. But I think all of us agree that if your risk is high, don't, for, don't worry about lipoprotein little a levels staying stable or going up some. Go ahead and treat that patient with statin therapy. That's number one. After statin therapy, now we know niacin lowers lipoprotein little a levels but does not reduce cardiovascular events. Of course, we have data related to hormone replacement therapy. We know that that is also not recommended in the overall scheme of things. So those two are out. But after that, we have PCSK9 inhibitors. And what we have seen with PCSK9 inhibitors is that 20 to 25% reduction in, in LPLA levels is seen. Whether that is significant enough to lower ACVD events remains to be seen, but it would, it, there is good data that the reduction in ACVD events that we see with PCSK9 inhibitors can be to some extent explained by a reduction in lipoprotein little A levels. So that's another therapy that is available. Outside of that, uh, uh, Aferesis, if you do uh, Aferesis, that will lower lipoprotein little A levels very effectively. Generally speaking, that is something that is reserved for uh, patients who have progressive ASCVD despite optimal treatment and very high LPLA levels. So that is not a therapy that we use very often. Now, the other therapy that clinicians will hear once in a while that I think is important to mention is aspirin. So there's some data from a women's health study early on and just recently in the past couple of weeks, there was a sub-study from Esprit trial, which as you would recall, was a trial done in older adults with aspirin therapy. Overall, the trial really uh, did not show a net benefit of aspirin therapy, but uh, a paper was published recently where the, where the investigators showed that in those who have high-risk genotypes associated with high levels of LPLA, LPLA levels were not measured, but those genotypes that are associated with high levels of LPLA in those patients, there was a net benefit of aspirin therapy. Similar results were seen in women's health study as well. So, and then I mentioned earlier that, that you would remember that apolitle A, the protein, has 
a very high structural homology with plasminogen. So by giving aspirin, low-dose aspirin therapy, are we able to mitigate some of the risk associated with high levels of LP little a? Now, we have some of these studies. These are either post hoc analyses or analyses that, uh, of course, are open to confounding. Uh, but there is some data that aspirin therapy may have a net clinical benefit in those with high LP little a. So high LP little a may be one such subset where we may find a role for aspirin therapy in primary prevention. And last but not the least, we actually have uh, uh, therapies that specifically lower laboratory levels up to 80% or so. So we have uh, antisense oligonucleotides, uh, which are single-stranded uh, molecules that inhibit the messenger RNA for uh, lipoprotein little a in the hepatocytes. Then we have another form of technology called small inhibiting RNAs, siRNAs, that also inhibit the uh, messenger RNA for lipoprotein little a in the hepatocytes. And they are also very uh, powerful agents in terms of lowering LPTLA levels by a large amount. Question now is that do these agents, in addition to lowering lipoprotein little a, do they lower ACVD events or not? And that is where there is a trial that is currently ongoing, the uh, Horizon uh, uh, LPTLA little a trial that is, is basically uh, using a, a, a product called pelacarsin, which is an antisense oligonucleotide against lipoprotein little a. And the target population for this trial is patients in secondary prevention. And those who are statin treated but have LP little a levels that are above 70 milligrams per deciliter. So fairly elevated LP little a levels. And, and, and it is trying to answer the question where lowering LP little a with pelacarsin reduces ACVD events. It'll be a few years before we have the results of uh, a Horizon trial, uh, but I think it's something that will add much more and many more options for all of us in treating our patients if the results are positive. Of course, that, that remains to be seen whether that works or not. So in general, this is how one would look at it, but I would emphasize again that high little, LP little A levels, unless they are extremely, extremely high. LPLA levels should be made part of the global risk assessment and they should be assessed in the context of global risk assessment. And when we're trying to treat LPLA levels, we should look at the patient globally and look at lifestyle therapy, look at statin therapy, and then we move on towards specific lowering of LPLA for which, as I mentioned, currently we do not have RCT evidence that lowering LPTLA specifically lowers ACVD events. Yeah, no, excellent, excellent information. There's a lot to digest there. Let me, um, the, the one question I had for the secondary prevention trial that you mentioned um, was, uh, I mean, is there a comparator arm looking at uh, intervention with PCSK9 um, and versus antisense oligonucleotide, or is it antisense oligonucleotide versus you know, standard of care, which I would assume is just statin therapy in patients with secondary prevention. Correct. So it is the later. Uh, the, the usual care is well-treated secondary prevention patients. 
Uh, and as you have seen in, in even the more recent PCSK9 trials, when you look at 4AA trial or Odyssey outcomes trial, these are extremely well-treated second prevention patients. So these are, again, uh, you know, in, 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 in uh, Horizon uh, LPLA study, the second prevention patients in usual care are extremely well-treated. Uh, and they are compared against a group that is receiving the current standard of care, but they are, in addition, receiving pelocarsin. Yeah, no, this has been uh, just a power capsule uh, of information for LP little a um, as to what it means and how to interpret the the results, the values, and what to do in terms of, uh, you know, targeted therapies and, and, you know, what is on the horizon, you know, pun intended there. Um, the, the horizon trial is, um, is actually underway. Um, any uh, closing remarks um, uh, on, the, on the discussion that we had, Dr. Varani, before I ask you, you know, closing remarks about, about the podcast? I think uh, the, the message I have for clinicians is uh, it is one of those particles that's been very difficult to understand. We still uh, don't know everything about the biology, uh, the synthesis, and 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 how it's taken up by which cells uh, about this this molecule. But there are some excellent resources that are out there. With again, I mentioned some of those with the NLA uh, think tank uh, report, which is a short report, a recent article by the European Atherosclerosis Society. Of course, our ACCHA guidelines talk about lipoprotein as well. Uh, just just take a look at those to familiar, familiarize yourself. Uh, you can still use it quite a bit for risk assessment. And as I talked about therapies as well. And then, of course, stay tuned uh, with, uh, with the Horizon trial. And, and that will really tell us uh, whether we need to specifically uh, lower lipoprotein A levels. So just stay tuned. There's a lot coming as far as uh, this particular uh, uh, lipid molecule is concerned. And your final closing remarks about Parallax. You know, we are into season four. We've recorded over 80 episodes and, you know, it's been it's been a journey for us. And, you know, throughout all of this, um, uh, I mean, uh, you've certainly been uh, an incredible supporter of of my career and my endeavors. And w- w- what is what is the message you have for the podcast and for the listeners? I think, uh, you know, as an educator myself, uh, Ankur, uh, being being a cardiologist who works in an academic environment, I think what I have learned is that there are multiple types of learners. Uh, some of us are very good. Uh, when we see patients, we just learn predominantly from that. Uh, some learn very well by reading things, some uh, review articles, some learn a lot by reading original investigations. Some of us learn really well by listening to podcasts. So I think, and then of course, a lot of us are, 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 are folks who do a little bit of everything. So based on your learning style, I, I wanted to uh, congratulate you on having a podcast that caters to a lot of uh, clinicians who want to learn stuff. And these podcasts are, are, are extremely strong in terms of getting the message out. So wanted to thank you for the opportunity to, to use this format to get a few words out about lipoprotein little a, uh, since this is one of those up and coming topics that I think most of us 
uh, in preventive cardiology need to know about. And at the same time, I wanted to thank you for, for taking up this initiative and, and doing it for the greater uh, clinician community in, in a way that it's easily digestible chunks of information that you can listen to wherever you are. You don't have to be, you know, uh, you don't have to open up a paper or a review article, but you can get these chunks of information while you may be, uh, maybe driving, maybe taking a walk or, or doing something else. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Virani. It's you know always a, always a delight um, and a pleasure to speak to you. You know whether it's about my career, whether it's about LP Little A, or whether it's about life in general. Um, you know, always cherish these conversations, and um, I just I'm I'm honored and and feel blessed that I am one of your mentees, um, and will continue to be so for the rest of my life. Um, congratulations to you on 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 a big role that's coming up for you in your career and um uh you know again um couldn't have gone to a better person um and um and a clinician investigator and an educator so um you know i'm sure you'll have your your work and will have a lot of impact uh, in populations who need it the most um so you know congrats on, on behalf of the, the team at parallax really congratulations on 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 the role that you've you you're going to take on with with Aga Khan University. No, thank you, Ankar. Uh, definitely looking forward to some uh, some meaningful work with both medical and non medical research. You know, related to, related to culture, media, as well as uh, uh, climate change. So very excited about the opportunity. As far as the podcast is concerned, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, you've uh, you've done amazing work. And I hope that uh, you'll uh, continue to do uh, such amazing work uh, in the in the near future. Oh, no, thanks again. And to the listeners, uh, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, among other platforms that you use to download these episodes. Uh, you, you know, again, we're very grateful that you you listen to us, and um, you know, we we take feedback and remarks very seriously, um, and we try to get guests on the show you know, who you think are going to add value to your daily clinical practice and to your physician well-being and to, to, your, to your professional life. Um, so with that, thanks again, and we'll see you back another Monday. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.